Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alamin. Wal'aqibatu lilmuttaqin. Ashadu an la ilaha illallah. Wahdahu la sharika lah. Wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. Sallallahu wa alayhi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. In the name of Allah, the most merciful, the one who bestows mercy. Indeed all praise is due to Allah, the Lord of the worlds. And may peace and blessings be upon our beloved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, upon his family, companions, and all those who follow the guidance of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam until Yawm al-Qiyamah. This reminder is part of the series of lectures which have been organized by Medina College during the state that we find ourselves in, and that is that many of us are isolated in our houses due to the virus, and this is well known. And alhamdulillah, ala kulli hal, everything occurs by the decree and the wisdom of Allah, subhanahu. And in the last week, we began the first part of this series or this lecture, which was regarding maintaining and building a Muslim home. And in the first part, we spoke about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tests people, not only through difficulties and calamities, but also through blessings. So Allah subhanahu he tests people with illness, but he also tests people with health. Allah subhanahu he tests people with weakness and he also tests people with strength. Allah subhanahu he tests people with poverty and he tests them with wealth and he tests people with being in a state of not being married or having no children and he also tests them by blessing them with a spouse and he tests the people by blessing them with children and we also spoke about and discussed how shaitan one of his main plots against the people is to forget the blessings of allah subhanahu and to forget a shukr showing gratitude to allah subhanahu and allah said only a few of my people are shukur, are grateful. Do they show gratitude for the ni'mah? And also we spoke about the blessing of having a house or a home that you belong to and the importance of your home, especially in times of fitna, times of difficulty and trials and tribulations in testing times, in confusing times, the importance of having a home. And this is from the hadith of Uqbah ibn Amir radiallahu anhu, that he asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Ya Rasulullah, aynan najah, O Messenger of Allah, where is salvation? Meaning in times of difficulty, where is salvation? And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he said, Tuba. Good tidings or glad tidings for the person who controls his or her tongue. 
and the one who suffices with his house. And the one who weeps over his sins and mistakes. And in this second part of the reminder, we're going to speak about some of the guidelines that the Sharia gives us in maintaining and building an Islamic home. Some of the nasa'ih, the pieces of advice that Islam puts forth that are found in the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, in rectifying our houses. And the first nasiha or the first guideline that we have, the first advice is that in building and maintaining and rectifying our homes, the first step is that each person has to feel and appreciate the responsibility, the blessing of having a home and belonging to a family. This is a blessing but it is also a responsibility. And this is a great responsibility upon the necks and the shoulders of every person who has authority in a home, whether it is the father or the mother or the elder siblings, the husband or the wife, any person who has any authority in a home the rectification of the home is a responsibility that a person will be asked about on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And if we do not appreciate this responsibility and we don't understand the severity of this responsibility, then we're going to be careless and negligent about our homes. We will only attach importance to our homes if we understand the severity of this responsibility and how weighty this responsibility is. And that we should always remember that on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, just as Allah will question us about the other obligations of the religion, Allah will also question each and one of us regarding our homes and what we did to rectify our houses. And the Prophet ﷺ, he clarified this in the well-known famous hadith. The Prophet ﷺ said, each one of you is a shepherd and each one is responsible for his flock. Meaning, each one of you is a shepherd in this dunya and each one will be held responsible on Yawm Al-Qiyamah for his flock, those who are under your authority. And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he detailed this even further. He said, That the man, the husband, the father is a shepherd for his family. And he will be held accountable and responsible for his flock, i.e. his family. And also the woman in the house. It isn't only the responsibility of the man, but also the woman. The Prophet said, And also the woman. She is the shepherd in the house of her husband. 
and she will be held accountable and responsible on Yawm Al-Qiyamah regarding her flock, regarding her responsibility. So this is the first advice and the first guideline which the Sharia puts forward, that we have to feel and appreciate the responsibility and that we will be held accountable for maintaining and rectifying our houses. The second advice and the second guideline from the Sharia is that those people who have authority in the house, as I mentioned, the father and the mother, the husband and the wife, they have to be a role model in goodness and that the family members in the house, they learn from them and they see from them obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the father is the source of strength and safety and security in the house, in the home, and repels every harm from the house and tries to bring benefit to the house. And the Prophet wasallam said, خيركم, خيركم The best of you, i.e. amongst the Muslims, is the one who is the best towards his family. So in an Islamic home, the man, the husband, the father, the elder brother is the source of authority and strength and maintenance and discipline. And also in the Islamic home, the woman, the wife, the mother, the elder sister is the source of tranquility and the source of comfort and education and cultivation. And no doubt, both of them, they, these roles, they overlap. So each person has to appreciate and realize the responsibility which they will be asked about on Yawm Al-Qiyamah and each person has to fulfill their role. So the houses and the homes that we live in, when we say a house, we're speaking about walls and windows and doors and a ceiling and furnishings. But when we say a home, we're speaking about the people inside the four walls of the house. And these homes, they will not rectify themselves. Rather, they require people who will put a great effort in rectifying the homes. And of course, the people are primarily the father and the mother, husband and the wife. Also from the guidelines and the advice which the Sharia puts forward is a great principle. And take this principle from me, memorize this principle and remind yourself of this principle every single day. And the principle is that every uh, ayah and every hadith which encourages us to benefit others, to be good towards others, to teach others, to interact with others in a good way, to not harm others, to not insult others. Every text which has a similar meaning to this, every text, every Islamic evidence, ayat and ahadith, which encourage us to be of service to others and to give da'wah to the people 
and respect other people and to bring about happiness and goodness and optimism. The principle is that your home and your family members are more deserving and more worthy of these meanings before anybody else without being deficient regarding the others. And subhanAllah, you find some people towards everybody outside the house is the nicest person you can find and the most well-mannered person you can find and the most tolerant and kind person you can find. And yet when it comes to his own family members and his own home, then they are uh, they don't see this kindness and this gentleness. So the principle is that every ayah, every hadith, which has the meanings which I mentioned previously, your family are more worthy and more deserving and first in the queue towards this. So when the Prophet wasallam said, for example, أَحَبُّ النَّاسِ اللَّهِ أَنْفَعُهُمْ لِلنَّاسِ the most beloved people to Allah are those who are most beneficial to others. The first people who are deserving of this meaning is your family members. When the Prophet وسلم, said, Muslim, Muslim, that the most beloved action to Allah is happiness which you bring to another Muslim. The first Muslim who is deserving of this are your family members, your father, your mother, your spouse, and your children. The hadith of Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu, Amir al-Mu'mineen, in Sahih bukhari the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, khayrukum man ta'allam al-Qur'an wa'allamahu the best of you is the one who learns the Qur'an and teach the Qur'an to others. The first person, the first people who are most worthy of this teaching are your family before anybody else. The hadith of Abu Dharr radiallahu anhu, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam spoke about good deeds and he spoke about the different types of charity. And then he said, even if it is meeting your brother with a smiling face, with a jovial face. The first person who is most deserving of this hadith is the one who is in your home. Allah said in the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah, Say to the people goodness, speak with the people goodness the first people who are most worthy of this good speech is your family members allah said in the quran also in surah al-baqarah i think do good verily allah loves those people who do good the people who are most worthy of your goodness are your family members in surah al-asr all of us have read and we have memorized Allah said, Encourage each other upon the truth. Encourage each other upon patience. The first people who are most worthy of your encouragement upon goodness and upon patience 
or your family members. And this is without being deficient regarding our community. So do not be like those people who outside the home and in the community, they are known for their goodness and they are known for being helpful and they are known for their manners and they are known for their smiling. And the minute that that person enters into the house, it's as if another person is entering into the house. Also from the guidelines which the Sharia gives us is that each person, husband and the wife, that they should help each other and cooperate with each other in uh, helping each other to fulfill their religion and encouraging each other to worship Allah Subhana in maintaining or living an Islamic life. So the husband towards the wife and the wife towards the husband, speaking with each other about Islam, reminding each other about the obligations. The husband allowing his wife to visit her friends who are righteous and pious uh, and always safeguarding his wife. And this is from the hadith of the Prophet when he spoke about the youth. And the meaning of the youth is the man who has no no pride uh, for his family members, for his wife. Meaning does not care whether the wife is doing a sin or not or that she's appearing uncovered in front of the people, or that her manners are not rectified, does not care whether the people look at her and gaze at her, and so on and so forth. The Prophet ﷺ said, and the hadith is in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad, three people, Allah Azza wa Jal, will not look towards them on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. He said, The one who is disobedient to his two parents. And the woman who seeks to resemble men. What do youth? And the do youth. The one who has no ghira. The man who has no ghira over his wife and over his daughters. And also the noble sisters in the houses. Many of them, for what we can see, are more pious than their husbands and more knowledgeable than their husbands and more virtuous than their husbands. And therefore, from the virtue and from the piety is encouraging your husband to worship Allah subhanahu, encouraging him to leave the house and to go pray in the masjid. And also from the guidelines of the Sharia and the advice which the Sharia gives us, in trying to build and maintain and rectify our homes so that they are Muslim homes and Islamic homes, is that we should make our homes a place of worship, a place of ibadah. So the ibadah of a man should not be restricted to the masjid alone. Rather, the house should also have a share of his ibadah. And also with regards to the women. So they should be some of our salawat which are prayed in the houses and some of the recitation of the Quran is done in the houses 
and some of our teaching and learning should be done in our houses. And no doubt also the masjid has a great portion of this. And the hadith, the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah in Sahih Bukhari and Muslim, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he told us to make our houses a place of worship and that our houses should not be like graveyards. And the meaning of our houses not being like graveyards is that the graveyards are not places of salah. The graveyards are not places of learning and teaching. The graveyards are not places of reciting the Quran. So if we don't do these actions in our houses, the houses become like the graveyards. The Prophet said, اِجْعَلُوا مِن صَلَاتِكُمْ فِي بُيُوتِكُمْ وَلَا تَتَّخِذُوهَا قُبُورًا Pray some of your salawat in your houses and do not make them like graveyards. And the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, he said, صَلُّوا أَيُّهَا النَّاسِ فِي بُيُوتِكُمْ Pray, O people, in your houses. فَإِنَّ أَفْضَلَ الصَّلَاةِ صَلَاةَ الْمَرْءِ فِي بَيْتِهِ إِلَّا الْمَكْتُوبًا for verily, the best prayer of a man is the prayer which is prayed in his house, aside from the obligatory prayers. Because in worshipping Allah in the house and praying some of the salawat in the house, this is tarbiyah, this is cultivation for the children in your actions rather than your statements. So when husband, when a father, he prays in his house and the children see him praying in his house. And when the father or the husband raises his hands in dua in the house or sits and makes the dhikr in the house or recites Quran in the house and the children, they see this action, these actions speak much louder than his words. And how many times have you seen a father and a mother praying salah and then you'll see the toddler who's maybe only a year old or two years old. And that toddler stands next to the father, or stands next to the mother and tries to imitate every action of the salah to the extent that when the father or the mother sits after the salah and they make dhikr with their hands like this, with their fingers, you'll see the toddler, the infant sitting and trying to make dhikr with fingers and hands, even though he doesn't know what he is doing. So no doubt the children from a young age, seeing their parents offer their salah in the house and making dhikr in the house, no doubt this has a, a great effect upon the, upon the children. And praying salah in the house when your society around you is corrupt. Uh, this is what Allah orders in the Quran. In fact, Allah subhanahu he ordered Musa alayhi salam and his brother Harun alayhi salam to take their houses as masajid, as places of worship, as a qibla. When Fir'aun had prevented people from worshipping Allah outside. When Fir'aun, the tyrannical ruler, was transgressing against the people and spreading corruption amongst the people, and the society became a society of shirk, 
and Fasad, Allah ordered Musa and Harun to tell their people to pray salawat in their houses. Allah said in the Quran, وَأَوْحَيْنَا إِلَى مُوسَى وَأَخِي We revealed to Musa and his brother, أَن تَبَوَّأَ لِقَوْمِكُمَا بِمِصْرَ بُيُوتَ That you should prepare for your people in Misr, Bayuta, houses. وَجْعَلُوا بُيُوتَكُمْ قِبْلَ And you should make your own houses a qibla, meaning a place of worship. وَأَقِيمُ الصَّلَةِ and you should establish the salah, meaning in your houses, and give the glad tidings to the believers. Also, from the guidelines of the Sharia, and we're summarizing them, going through them quickly because of the lack of time, is that the people of authority should cultivate and order the younger ones with the salah and with the establishing of the religion. And no doubt, this is something which requires patience. And this is why Allah mentioned in the Quran, And order your family with the salah, And be diligent and patient in this, because it requires patience. Naturally, uh, no young a child wants to leave playing, leave their games, leave their cartoons and come and pray. And this is perhaps something which is natural. And this is why it requires a sabr, patience and diligence. And Allah subhanahu in the Quran, he praised his prophet Ismail alayhi salam. fil kitabi Ismail. Allah said, and make mention in the book of Ismail. And then how did he describe him? He said, That he used to order his children or order his family with a salah. And also the hadith which you all know. Order your children with the salah and they are seven years old. And discipline them upon the salah and they are ten years old. So contemplate this hadith that the Prophet وسلم, he told the parents, the guardians, to order the children with the salah and they are seven years old. Now a person might say that at seven years old, a child is not accountable. A child is not mukallaf. And there's no doubt that a child is not accountable at seven years old. And therefore, this order in the hadith to order the children with seven years old, if the seven-year-old is not accountable, then this shows that the order is not for the child, rather the order is for the parents and the guardians. Meaning those who will be held accountable are not the children, because the child is only seven years old. And a child is not accountable at seven years old. So the one who will be held accountable is who? is the guardians, the parents. And subhanAllah, if the Prophet ﷺ ordered us to command and cultivate the children with the salah and they are under seven, then how about those children who are above the age of puberty and women in the house who are mature 
women. In fact, even a son ordering his father with the salah if his father is negligent, but with respect and gentleness, gentleness and wisdom. And subhanallah, how many people, uh, how many fathers have wasted their children and their offspring because they did not cultivate them upon the salah when they were young. And sometimes you find a man and within his own self, he is righteous. However, his righteousness, it is restricted to only his own self. So perhaps he prays and he goes out to the masjid in order to pray, but his children are at home watching TV. His children are sleeping. His wife does not pray, does not advise them, does not order them, does not remind them, does not question them at all. So the least that a person should do is at least remind his children and remind his wife regarding the salah and also the wife that her goodness and her righteousness, her piety should not be restricted to her own self alone. Rather, she prays and she reminds her family members regarding the salah. And where are we from this hadith of the Prophet ﷺ? That we will be held accountable on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. The husband, the father, the wife, the mother will stand in front of Allah Subhanahu, And they will be questioned about whether they fulfilled the responsibility of ordering the children with a salah. Also, from the guidelines of the Sharia in maintaining and rectifying an Islamic home is that we should take care of the rights of our family members and we should be there for our family members. And the Prophet وسلم, he used to remind the Sahaba, the companions, regarding the rights of their family. And that's why in the famous hadith between Abu Dhar and Salman al-Farisi radiallahu anhuma, Salman al-Farisi radiallahu anhu, he said to Abu Dhar, inna li ahlika alayka haq, that verily your family has a right upon you. The story is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he had um, connected Salman to Abu Darda. So they became like brothers. The Prophet he used to pair up a muhajir to the Ansar so they could help each other. And Umm Darda, she complained to Salman radiallahu an. She said, Inna akhaka, verily your brother, Abu Darda, has no need for the bed and has no need for his family, no need for his wife, no need for clothes, doesn't need anything. He just wants to worship Allah. So Salman radiallahu an, he advised Abu Darda. He said, Inna li rabbika alayka haq. Verily your Lord has a right upon you. Wali ahlika alayka haq. And your family has a right upon you. Wali nafsika alayka haq. And your own self has a right upon you. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when he heard of this, he said, Sadaqa Salman. Salman spoke the truth. And also uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he said to Abdullah ibn Amr radiallahu anhu when he saw him that he would fast in the day and pray in the night. And every day he would do this. 
He said, Inna li ahlika alayka haq. Verily, your family has a right upon you. So if you are spending all day, every day fasting, and all night, every night in Qiyam al-Layl, then when will you fulfill the rights of your family members? And the Prophet wasallam, in a number of hadith, in a number of narrations, when the delegates and the people would come to the Prophet wasallam, to stay with him and learn from him, after a number of days, he would order them to go back to their families. In the hadith, when a wafd, when a delegation came to the Prophet and they remained with him for a while, after a while he said to them, Go back to your families. And educate them. And teach them. And pray as you have seen me pray. So, in rectifying our houses and our homes and our families, we have to make time for our family members. And we have to make time for our children, especially those who are young. And how many times has a young child, an infant or a toddler, come to the father or come to the mother? And the father and mother, no doubt they are busy with work, busy with housekeeping, busy with reading, and they ignore the child. And the child only wants... 10, 15, 20 seconds of your time just wants to show you something that they've written or something that they've done or they just want you to embrace them. And the father and the mother, they usher the child away because they are busy. And all it requires is 10 or 15 minutes or 10 or 15 seconds or a little longer. So we should not leave our children as orphans. And what I mean here by orphans is orphans towards your time and often orphans from your affection and your love and your care. And the poet said, The poet said that the yatim, the orphan, is not the one whose parents have left him and they have left him in needy in front of the others. He said, That the yatim, the orphan, is the one who has a mother, yet his mother is not fulfilling her responsibility and has a father, but the father is mashghul. The father is preoccupied with everything except the care of the needs of the children. And also from the guidelines which the Sharia gives us is making dhikr in the house, remembering Allah subhanahu in the house. And the meaning of dhikr here is not restricted to only Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, even though these are great words of a dhikr. But the general meaning of dhikr. So dhikr in reciting the Quran, dhikr in speaking about Islam, dhikr in remembering Allah subhanahu, dhikr in talking about knowledge. And if you look at the house of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the routine of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, 
his life and home was full of dhikr. And this is why you will notice that we have been ordered to mention the name of Allah before almost every action which we take inside our house. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he entered his house, he would enter Bismillah. And if he left his house, Bismillah And before he began to eat, he would eat Bismillah. And before he would begin to drink, he would say Bismillah. And before he would approach his wife at night, he would say Bismillah. And when he slept at night, he would sleep by mentioning the name of Allah. And when he woke up in the morning, Alhamdulillah, he would uh, wake up by mentioning the name of Allah. Every uh, situation, every state, every action in the house, the Prophet would do Bismillah by mentioning the name of Allah. And this was the life of the Prophet And if the dhikr of Allah is absent from our homes, then this house and this home, it is dead. Meaning spiritually, it is dead. It has no soul. Because the Prophet he said, the example between a house or, or a person uh, which is living and dead uh, is like the example of one who makes the mention of Allah, the dhikr of Allah, the one who does not make the mention of Allah, make dhikr of Allah. The Prophet said, Whenever a person enters into his house, and he mentions the name of Allah when he enters, and he mentions the name of Allah when he is about to eat food. Shaytan says, Shaytan says to the other shayateen and the jinn, Today, there is no place for you in this house, and there is no food for you, for you in this house. And if a person enters and does not mention the name of Allah when he enters, when he eats, shaitan says, that today you have a place to reside. And if he does not mention the name of Allah when eating, shaitan says, you have today food to eat. So when a house is empty of the dhikr of Allah subhanahu, the angels, they stay away and the shayateen enter. And if this is the situation of a house in which there is no dhikr of Allah, then what do you think about a house? That in the house, not only is there an absence of the dhikr of Allah, but on top of this, there is fasad and sinning and evil. The Prophet wasallam. When he spoke about the shayateen entering into the house and the angels staying away from the house, he spoke about the absence of the dhikr of Allah subhanahu. And yet today there are houses, not only is there an absence of the dhikr of Allah, but on top of this there is evil and sinning. So there is no salah in the house. The parents do not pray and the children do not pray. And there are, there are haram substances in the house. And the children and the family are occupied with films and music. And the conversations of the family members, they revolve around 
interest and mortgages and haram earning and cheating others and breaking the ties of kinship. And this is why we see facade. We see the corruption in our societies. So the corruption in our societies primarily it does not begin with the government. It does not. It does not begin with others. It begins with the house, because the house is the first environment, the first school. And if you're not able to establish the Islamic state outside you, then you are the Amir of your own house. You are able to establish the Islamic state in your own houses. And then the final piece of advice that we suffice with and we end with is that we should realize and appreciate that there is no house which is perfect, regardless of the one who is advising. So the one who is advising you today, his house is not perfect. And even the scholar who comes and teaches us, his house is not perfect. And even amongst the Sahaba, we find narrations, like the famous narration of Ali radiallahu anhu, and his wife Fatima radiallahu anha. And when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when he saw Ali radiallahu anhu, he had left his house and he was lying under the tree, the shade of the tree. And this is because Ali and Fatima, they had had an argument. And this is something which is natural between spouses. And so the Prophet called him Abu Turab. Uh, and there are many other narrations uh, like this. And and you see from some of the righteous people that they fulfill their obligation and they try to give the correct tarbiyah or cultivation to their children and they do everything in order to rectify their house so their houses are full of salah and dhikr and dua and worship and fasting and they teach their children and they are truthful in their intention and their sincerity however at the end of the day the affairs in the hands of Allah subhanahu and Allah guides whoever he wills due to a wisdom from him and Allah allows to be misguided whoever he wills due to a wisdom from him and this is why you find from the anbiya wa rusul the prophets and the messengers who were the best teachers and who gave the best tarbiyah and they had the best homes and yet amongst them are those whose own wife disbelieved and rejected and disobeyed his message. And whose own father, like Ibrahim and his father, Azar, Ibrahim salam, his father, Azar, rejected his message. And even in our Prophet, وسلم, his uncle, Abu Talib, rejected the message. And his uh, uncle, Abu Jahl, uh, Abu Lahab rejected the message and they spoke with the Prophet and they saw the revelation being revealed and he gave them ayat and signs and miracles and yet they rejected it and this is because ultimately the faith in the hands of Allah subhanahu. so what is upon you is to appreciate and realize the responsibility which is upon your neck and then fulfill the responsibility to the best of your ability and then after this don't lose hope in the mercy of allah subhanahu and don't be distant from your children and you should know 
that ultimately every person after the age of puberty is responsible for their own actions and their own sins. So remain close to your children, even if your children, they become distant. Remain close to your children and open and approachable with them, even if they become weak. And perhaps the children, after all the effort you've put in, they will become weaker and they will become distant and the iman may decrease. But because of your patience and because of your diligence and because of your tarbiyah and because of you remaining open with them and close with them, uh, they return back to the correct way. And perhaps a person does not see the effect of his or her teaching and cultivation and tarbiyah except after his death. And this happens in many cases. You find a father who is righteous and yet the children are disobedient. And subhanAllah, when the father passes away, then the children come back to the truth because they remember their father, that he was righteous, he was good. How can they waste his legacy? How can they waste all his teaching? And then they come back to the truth and this has happened a lot so a person should always remain optimistic and have a good thought about Allah subhanahu and always remain close and approachable to your children even if they become distant and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for tawfiq we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bestow upon us children who are righteous and make them people of at-taqwa Allahumma inna نسألك الجنة وما قرب إليها من قول وعمل اللهم إنا نعوذ بك من النار وما قرب إليها من قول وعمل اللهم اللهم أحسننا من الفتن ما ظهر منها وما بطن اللهم بارك لنا في أسماعنا وأبصارنا وقواتنا وزوجاتنا وذرياتنا اللهم اللهم أشف مرضانا ومرض المسلمين اللهم رحم اللهم رحم موتانا وموت المسلمين هذا والله أعلم وصلى الله على نبينا وسلم وبالله التوفيق نعم افتزني questions uh, or anything, you're welcome to ask your questions, inshallah. Now, there's a question here. Uh, what can you do if there's a conflict between family members and relatives and they hold grudges? And no doubt, this is something which has become prevalent in society today, that family members are breaking up. And this is often due to greed over worldly matters. Uh, and Islam orders us to keep the ties of kinship and maintain the ties of kinship. And the Prophet he said, that the, the wasil, the one who keeps the ties of kinship, isn't the person who repays goodness with goodness. Meaning, 
my family members are good towards me and therefore I am good towards them. Rather, the wasil, the one who keeps the ties of kinship, is the one who maintains his goodness and keeps the ties of kinship when his family members cut off from him. So this is what we should remember, that the true test of you keeping the ties of kinship is not when your family members are being good towards you, rather when one of your family members does something wrong. And therefore you have to uh, let go of the grudge and sometimes give up your right. And of course that's easier said than, than, than being done. But if a person fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and, dies, and desires reward which is with Allah and acts for his akhirah as opposed to the dunya and rectifies his heart, then Allah gives that person tawfiq. Now, there's a question here, which is a good question. What if your parents are upon bid'ah and whenever you try having a normal conversation with your dad, he always instigates an argument and that makes it hard for you to respect him. Regardless of whether your parents are upon bid'ah or even kufr and shirk, you still have to maintain the rights of your parents. The mother and the father, you still have to maintain their rights. And this is what Allah ordered us when uh, ordered us with in the Quran, when jahadaka alan and if they force you to commit shirk with me, then do not show them obedience. And then Allah said in the ensuing ayah, however, live with both of them in this dunya in a good way, in a noble manner, i.e. maintaining their rights. So this is in the case of a person's parents forcing kufr and shirk upon that person. I, these are people who reject Allah, they don't believe in the akhirah, they reject the Prophet and then more than this, they force shirk and kufr upon a person. In this situation, Allah said, Fala Do not show them obedience. And then he said, in the next ayah, However, continue living with them in the dunya in a good way. So if this is with regards to parents who are upon shirk and kufr, and they force you with shirk and kufr, then no doubt bid'ah and sinning is much, much less than this. And the ulama, they mention a beautiful benefit that in this ayah, Allah said, Fala Do not show them obedience. But Allah did not say, Show them disobedience. So even in the wording of the ayah, Fala Do not show them obedience, as opposed to saying, Do not show them disobedience. There's a very subtle benefit that a person does not show them obedience in this matter alone in the matter of the shirk or the kufr or the bid'ah or the ma'asiyah, the sinning, then there's no obedience. 
However, this does not uh, take a person outside of the obligation of obeying the parents generally. So generally speaking, you maintain the obedience of your parents, but that kufr or that shirk, you do not show them obedience. And with, with regards to speaking to your parents, uh, we have to understand that da'wah is not restricted to speech. Also, there is da'wah by actions. So perhaps once or twice or a number of times you've tried your best to try to speak to them and the conversation turns into an argument. Then don't bring that topic up, but through your actions. So, of course, you're not allowed to partake in the bid'ah, but as long as you've tried to advise them and you know that it's turning into an argument, maybe you're falling into disrespecting them, then... Uh, stop having the conversations about that issue and instead through your actions so when you are practicing your obedience to your parents has to be much greater than when you are not practicing it shouldn't be the case that when a person was not practicing or when a person was careful they were good to, towards their parents and soon as they found a salafi and soon as they started practicing sunnah now they are disobedient towards their parents because this is not salafiyya and this is not the sunnah, even if your parents are people of innovation, even if parents are kuffar. So the more you learn about your aqidah, the greater your obedience to your parents should be. May Allah give us tawfiq. Um, the question, how can you encourage young children to learn dhikr and Qur'an when they don't want to or don't like it? As I mentioned, the only obligation upon you is to encourage them and cultivate them, especially from a young age. The younger you start cultivating your children and teaching your children, uh, the more love they will have towards this action. The difficulty is when the first seven years of a child, uh, the parents were negligent, the first seven years of the child, and then after seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, and then they start trying to cultivate them. This now becomes difficult. Why? Because up to the age of seven, the heart of the child was empty and the vessel was open to being filled with the love of something. But when you were negligent over your duty and you did not fill the heart or the vessel of the child with Iman, with Taqwa, with the love of Allah, then they came to an age of independence in which they now fill their own minds and their own hearts with something. And instead of the heart now being full of Taqwa and Iman, now it is full of uh, that which uh, wastes time and Lahu and Lahu and entertainment and amusement and so on and so forth. So firstly, we have to try to cultivate our children before the age of seven and through our actions before our words, our actions and our words. And when they 
go above the age of seven and above the age of 10, then we carry on advising them and carry on reminding them. But we have to remember ultimately, as I mentioned, that after the age of puberty, a person is then responsible for his or her own actions and his and her own sins. And the only duty upon you is then to remind them. So for example, you may remind your child about the salah and they say they've prayed in their room and Allah knows whether they've prayed in their room or they have not prayed in their room. But you should not break their trust. If they are over the age of puberty, then you have to maintain their trust. And the final account is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's incorrect for a parent to spy upon the children or try to check whether the child has prayed or not after the age of puberty. Advise them and be diligent upon your advice and remind them and encourage them. And then if they have said they have, they have prayed, then don't break the trust. Because ultimately, we're not responsible for their secret affairs. This is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if you become aware that they have not prayed without praying upon them, uh, then, of course, you know, you remind them and you hold them to account. Um, so question, and we'll finish with this question. Uh, what advice would you give an unmarried sister so that when she has the responsibility of her own household in the future? Meaning, uh, an advice for those sisters who are not married, who in the future will get married, what advice should you give them? Uh, the advice which is given to the sisters firstly in reality requires some thought because it's a topic in itself. So I'm not prepared to, to give a comprehensive advice right now. Uh, but firstly, the more a person or a woman rectifies herself, the more beneficial she will be towards her family in the future. So sister, don't think don't be like that person who says that when I get married, I'm going to start wearing my hijab. When I get married, I will learn my duties. No. The more you rectify yourself now, the more tawfiq Allah will give you in the future. Uh, so this is the first advice. The second advice is in finding a spouse. Find the spouse who shares your vision in terms of how you want to live your life uh, Islamically and how you want to maintain your household. And also, uh, accompany those sisters who you see to be pious and you see to be good wives. And remember, uh, there's a difference between somebody who is pious and somebody who is a good wife. And of course, there's an overlap between them. So I don't mean these are two completely independent entities. There's an overlap between them. But sometimes you find a woman who is pious in of herself, but when it comes to marital obligations, she is negligent in her marital obligations. So this is also incorrect. Um, uh, and also uh, living within your culture. 
uh, and this is an important point. I'm not talking about marrying outside of a person's culture, but our culture as Muslims, uh, it, it teaches us and it has cultivated us upon certain practices when it comes to how to talk to your parents, how to talk to your, to your husband, how to talk to your wife, what are the rights and the responsibilities. Many of these things are taken from our culture because our culture is Islamic. The asl of our culture has come from Islam. Now, sometimes you have un-Islamic practices which have entered into the culture, uh, but the asl of an Islamic culture or a Muslim culture, whether it is Somali or Yemeni or Pakistani or Arab or African, whatever the Islamic, the Muslim culture is, uh, there's, there's issues there or there are practices there. Um, so, for example, in our culture, when we speak to our parents, we use a, a plural pronoun. And in our culture, this is something which is considered to be respectful. So also you should know your culture and understand your culture. Or if your husband is from a different culture, then understand the culture of your husband and his family and live within that culture. And then finally, there's a book which I advise every sister with who is single or looking to get married. And this book, it was authored by our Sheikh, Sheikh Badr ibn Ali al-Utaybi, hafizahullah. Uh, and if you excuse me for a minute, I'll bring you a copy of the book. Uh, it is this book here, which is 20 pieces of advice to my sister before her marriage. 20 pieces of advice to my sister before her marriage by Sheikh Badr ibn Ali al-Rutaybi. And it was printed by Riwaya Publications. And the book is available in... Arabic, of course, and this is a translation of the book. And this is from one of the most beneficial books that I have seen uh, in this. So it's recommended uh, for you to uh, buy and read this book and look into this book. And also, just before I forget, there's another very good book when it comes to uh, the Muslim home and trying to maintain the Muslim home. Uh, and also it's been translated into English as far as I am aware. And the book is called Arba'oon Nasiha Li Islah Al-Bayt. Uh, 40 pieces of advice in rectifying the house. I think the English title is The Muslim Home, 40 Recommendations. And it's been authored by Sheikh Saleh Al-Munajjid, uh, the, 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 the author of uh, the famous website Islam QA, Saleh Al-Munajjid. He's the author of this book and the book has been translated. So these two books, I repeat them once again, are excellent books. The Muslim Home, 40 Recommendations by Saleh Al-Munajjid in English, in Arabic, Arba'oon Al-Nasiha Al-Islah Al-Bayt. And then finally, this book, 20 Pieces of Advice to My Sister Before Her Marriage by our Sheikh Badr Ibn Ali Al-Utaybi, Hafizahullah, purchase this book and benefit from these books. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for tawfiq. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to remove the illness that we are in. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to show mercy to every Muslim who has died in this illness and accept them as shuhada. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika shadu la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubi ilaha.